Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome. This is the Late Breaking F1 podcast. My name is Ben Hocking. Sam Sage is in the house. So too is Harry Eid. Sam, after last week's chocolate bar debate with Sergio <laughs> Perez, do you have a definitive answer as to what chocolate bar Sergio Perez is. I mean, I don't. No one got in touch about it. I'm quite disappointed at the lack of responses on on our Twitter, at L Breaking, by the way, folks. I'm going to put it out now, actually. So if you're listening to this tomorrow, there's a 24-hour poll on our Twitter. What chocolate bar is Sergio Perez? Get involved. Good, good. I'm, I'm glad we've we've immediately entered into chocolate bar debate territory. We are 45 seconds into this podcast and already it's our greatest one ever. So, uh, uh, yeah, congrats, guys. I love it. Also, just a <laughs> clarification, everyone. Uh, I'm not in the house. I live in a flat. So, I was going to uh, say, Ben, what, what house are you referring to here? Because I think you're the only one who does live in a house. Yeah, actually, flats outweigh you here, two to one. <laughs> oh, the flats have it the flats have it anyway we've actually got some other things we're going to be talking about today that are related to would you believe it formula one uh mercedes seven straight constructors titles seven straight drivers titles it has to end at some point i think but when will it happen and who will do it um we'll be discussing that later on a couple of near misses um regarding some potentially dangerous incidents at both istanbul and imola so is it a time to look at safety and we'll be playing a game of f1 true or false play along at home and see if you can beat harry and sam trust me it's not that difficult but first it is actually they're, they're more intelligent than they first let on we're going to be talking first no, no. though <laughs> about an interesting <laughs> quote from sebastian vettel after the Turkish Grand Prix, about his current teammate, Charles Leclerc. So after the race, he told reporters that Charles is perhaps the biggest star for the future, maybe more than Max. So, Sam, is he right? No, because Roy Asani is. Um, Harry, is he right? That's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. On a serious note, um, I think... Seb makes a very good argument. Of course, there is more evidence to suggest that Max Verstappen is the man to put your money behind for winning the kind of the next world title after Lewis Hamilton is done and dusted. Let's realistically say that he's going to be the favourite to win the, the next batch. But uh, if you're going to put your, your money on someone completely new, I understand why you go for Max Verstappen. He's in a, a car that's closer. The Red Bull is far closer to winning anything than the Ferrari currently is at the moment. And 
arguably the Red Bulls have been the most consistent car other than the Mercedes throughout the whole hybrid era. Um, Ferrari have been up and they've been down and they've been up, they've been down and they're currently very down. Uh, Verstappen has more race wins than Charles Leclerc. Verstappen has more time in the sport, but we, we know from Lewis Hamilton that time in the sport doesn't mean that you don't get to win a championship as soon as possible. Um, he won it, of course, in his second year and was challenging for it in his first. So experience doesn't always count for everything. Max has definitely got the backing of the of the people. And Charles Leclerc is, is still a relative newbie in comparison, but there's a little glimmer, I think. There's a little bit of, of Ferrari hope that is bearing in the Tifosi that they really have got kind of almost, not maybe the next Schumacher, but the, the essence of Schumacher in Charles Leclerc, the man that can turn them around and, and lead them to something exciting and, and important and different. And, I think Charles Leclerc will be a world champion. I'd be mighty shocked if he gets to the end of his career and he hasn't won a world championship. I wouldn't be shocked if he does win it before Max. I personally think that Max is too committed to the Red Bull team and they might end up being stuck where they are currently. Whereas I think Charles Leclerc, I don't know. I feel like Ferrari are willing to change that now and could adapt. So, yeah, I can definitely see why Seb Vettel has made the, the, the argument of saying that Charles Leclerc is going to be the next big star, not Max Verstappen. But I mean, at the end of the day, who isn't going to love watching year after year Max versus, uh, versus Leclerc, you know, in different teams, hopefully neck and neck the entire time. Maybe with Russell and Norris throwing in as well. I think that'd be absolutely fantastic. But the stats sit with Verstappen, but I think... I don't know. I, I think the momentum at the moment is currently with Leclerc. He's been absolutely fantastic all season. What do you reckon, Harry? Do you think that Vettel has a point in what he says? Uh, yeah, I think he does. I mean, it all depends on you know what cars they end up with in the future. And uh, if Ferrari is like it is now, then uh, Leclerc's not going to win much, I don't think. But... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Leclerc's not been there as long as Max. That's not saying much. Max hasn't been around for a long time. But um, I, d- I just... Leclerc's attitude to, uh, to, to to how he goes racing, I think, is just slightly better than Max's. And this is not a... I'm not slagging Max off at all here. I think, you know, he does special things with that car. I mean, how quick he was in that qualifying session uh, on Saturday was ridiculous and... Uh, but he should have won that race, I think, potentially. But, uh, but he was impatient. And there's a, almost a bit of entitlement with the way he goes racing. And he feels like he deserves to win, which, you know, no doubt he does. He's he's a super talented driver. Um, I don't know. I, I just get the feeling Leclerc's got just a slightly better attitude. And it could come undone for Max if he... I don't know. Doesn't and I'm sure he will mature. He is still very young, so I'm sure it will happen. But if he he needs to perhaps just rein it in a little bit, um, I think undoubtedly, if they both have competitive cars, they're going to be the ones battling for championships one day. Once you know Hamilton has has retired and moved on, you know we saw glimpses of it at Silverstone last year. I think when they just kept you know banging wheels, having a great old scrap. That is that is the future of F1. I want to watch. Let's be real. Um, but yeah, whether whether Leclerc will be the one who is ahead, I still think it's hard to tell. But they are both. Well, I mean, Ben, you call him God, God Leclerc, for for you know for good reasons. But um, who's going to be ahead? It's very hard to tell. It's very you know it depends how the next few years go for them both. But um, 
I would not be surprised if Leclerc does end up winning a championship or more championships than Verstappen does. But like I said, I think it's going to be those two, you know, battling it out. And for for Seb to say that, I mean, he has a an up close knowledge of how Leclerc works. He's been his teammate now for two seasons. Leclerc has this year definitely uh, definitely put him in his place. Um, and he doesn't have necessarily have that knowledge of Verstappen, so it's not necessarily surprising. But um, I, I think he's got a, you know a, a legitimate point. Yeah, from from my perspective, I think it's close, and I would agree with the point that a lot of it is going to be a product of circumstance and a product of their own decision making. And, and ultimately, they're both talented enough that if they've got the car underneath them and if they've got the team around them they will be able to convert the these you know these races into wins and those wins into championships they're both easily talented enough to do so i think this almost sounds like a little bit of a hot take almost because we're coming out of a race where max verstappen has had i would definitely say his worst race of the season it's definitely his most wasteful race of the season and even though leclerc wasn't able to convert his performance into a podium he was exceptional you know he was he was miles behind the likes of Seb in the first half of the race and he still caught up to them all still in contention for P2 right until the second to last corner so Leclerc had an excellent performance Verstappen had a disappointing performance so it does sound like this is a hot take but it's important not to confuse the point here uh, and that is Vettel is talking about potential. Vettel is talking about who will be the best star in Formula One. It's not asking the question of who is better right now. For me, it's a very definitive Verstappen is the better driver right now. As as great as Leclerc is, and I would probably put Leclerc as the third best driver on the grid right now. But I think there is a gap at the moment between the top two of Hamilton and Verstappen back to then a group of third to fifth or sixth, which would include Leclerc, Ricardo, Bottas and Perez. So I, I think right now, Verstappen has got the edge, but that is not what is being asked here. The question is, who is the better prospect? Who has got the most potential in the sport? You know, George Russell is not one of the best drivers on the grid at the moment, but does he have the potential to be? Absolutely, he does. So just important to remember what the question is. And it's not comparing let's say he's not comparing apples and apples here. You've got Leclerc, who is in his third season of Formula One. Verstappen has done double the amount of time in Formula One compared to Leclerc. It's easy to look at them both, similar age, similar ability, similar chance to become one of the best of in F1, if not the best in F1. It's easy to just directly compare them without any sort of comparative point of where they are in their respective careers. Verstappen is in his sixth year of his career. Leclerc is only in his third. So rather than just looking at 2020 Leclerc versus 2020 Verstappen, it's important to look at 2020 Leclerc versus 2017 Verstappen, because that's really where the comparison point is if we're using F1 experience. And if you were to compare 2017 Verstappen and 2020 Leclerc, For me, 2020 Leclerc wins it because Verstappen at that point in his career was more than prone to making quite a few errors. He still makes them now, but he doesn't make anywhere near as many as he did at that point in his career. Leclerc already, even though he does make the odd mistake, seems to be clear of any of that kind of issue. So I think they both have a lot of potential. Both will win championships if they get the right team at the right time. 
Verstappen for me definitely better right now. But if you had, if I had to say who was better in terms of potential, who could be the absolute best, I think I'd give it to Leclerc. I think he edges it, but I'm going to go with Leclerc. I think Turkey did serve as a little bit of proof that Verstappen's still not quite there. There's still something when it comes to you know when it comes to being patient. It's still not quite there for him. So God, Leclerc is going to take the round for me. I think. Something that we'd all love to see, actually, is in about four years' time, if they ended up in the same team, I think that would be incredibly exciting to witness. And that would be the answer, right? That we would know for definite. It's like when you put Hamilton and Alonso in the same car for 2007-2008. You kind of got the glimpse of actually where the talent was going. Um, And it would be the same thing here. I would absolutely love to see... um, Leclerc and Vettel. It's like it's like when Ricardo went against Vettel, right? Leclerc has beaten Vettel now, and it looks like he's going to beat him two years in a row. Um, and Ricardo managed to beat Vettel, so does that mean that theoretically Verstappen can maybe beat Vettel because he's also beaten Ricardo? And those two are incredibly close. Ricardo also got the better of Verstappen. So a lot of great drivers on the grid, a lot of world champions in play. I'd be super, super keen to see how those two match up against each other in kind of half a decade's time. If you're saying that Ricardo is the barometer here, does that make Danny Fiat the best driver on the grid right now? Yes, yep. it's about time it's recognised. <laughs> Thank goodness we've reached this conclusion. Thank goodness. <laughs> what they need to do, and I can't remember the year off the top of my head, maybe around 85 or something along those lines, when they just put everyone in the same car, they put everyone in road cars and Ayrton Senna won. Um, wouldn't it be brilliant if you could do that with the current F1 grid? Put them all in. Put them all in F3 cars or something like that. Yeah. There's too much pride in it. It would be great. Or or even F2. It would be hilarious. Sure. Not going to happen, but I can keep dreaming. Let's move on to Mercedes. So Lewis Hamilton's championship in Istanbul means that the team have completed seven consecutive clean sweeps. So 2013 and Red Bull, the last time they did not win. Think of how different the world was at that point. Obama was just starting his, he just finishing his first year in his second term. That's how far back you have to go for the last time Mercedes weren't winning. Regardless, the question continues on. Who will defeat them and when will that be? So Harry, which team has the best chance and when? Never again. This is it now. We are living. <laughs> We're in Mercedes, Mercedes world. world. <laughs> <laughs> We're living in it. Um, who knows? I mean, you got us on the basis of the the past few years. It's gonna. You'd have to say Red Bull or Ferrari, but you know, Red Bull. Where will they be in twenty twenty two with without a fully fledged, but uh, Honda backed uh, engine behind them? Uh, you know that that could. You know, shove them down the order. Um, Ferrari, you know, they get close, but then they do Ferrari things like build a bad car, have a bad strategy, you know, all sorts of just bad things or use a dodgy engine. Um, So, you know, it could be them, but then again, we don't have much faith in them. Maybe it could be a McLaren, a resurgent McLaren. I mean, this is hard to tell. We could get to 2022 and the rules change and Mercedes could plummet down the order. I'm doubtful. But it could happen, um, in which case it could be any of the teams to pick up the pieces. You know, we, we've had the Braun GP story before. There's no reason why that couldn't happen again. So it's going to be a massive overhaul of the, of the rules. So, um, 
yeah, could be. Another. I would not. I would not want to put my uh, money on picking a team to to take over. But if I had to say, I would go with Ferrari. I'll go with Ferrari. I think eventually they'll do something. They've got so much money behind them. Like, come on, come on, boys, you, um, you can do it. With your answer being Ferrari, presumably you think Mercedes are going to relatively comfortably walk to another title in 21 and 22 might be the next best chance to strike. I mean, yeah, there's not much changing next year. We're going to different circuits, but I don't see what else is going to change apart from a few driver lineups. Um, well, I, you know, I'd be, I would like to be surprised, but I would be surprised if if next year's any different. I mean, there was an interview with, with good old Gunther on Sky at the weekend and they were asking him about 21 and he was effectively already writing it off. <laughs> I know it's different for Haas, but um, yeah, he didn't see, you know, because I think things will be so consistent to, to this year in terms of the cars and everything um, that I don't think we'll see much change in the pecking order. So uh, yeah, I, I'm relatively confident Mercedes will take it again next year, but twenty two is the twenty two is the big the big one. I mean that's why, you know, Alonso's coming back for crying out loud. He wants to win everything in twenty twenty two. Can't wait to turn up at Melbourne in twenty twenty two and Mercedes are on pole by two seconds. But we'll get to that at at some point. Um Sam, what do you think? Do you think there's a team that's most likely to take over and when do you think that might be? So I'm going to look at this from the point of view that Mercedes take a step back from Formula One. Uh, because, spicy. yeah, well, I like to think of these wonderful worlds where we have equal competition. And if that is the case, if Mercedes depart the sport after 2021 and simply stay as a sponsor, maybe engineering partner and an engine supplier and not a full works team, then I think due to the fact their engines have been so reliable, they've been so well built, uh, the team is so well run, and I imagine that those teams running Mercedes uh, engine parts and using Mercedes parts throughout the car will probably be picked up by the teams that will be running Mercedes engines. Red Bull, I don't think, don't stand a chance. Same as Ferrari, and this is for budget reasons. I think the new budgets coming in mean that they are going to have a a massive struggle to reel everything back in. I think they're going to really, really struggle. The same thing goes for McLaren. I think McLaren could really be in a strong position come the new regulations. You know, they're they're on the rise. They've got great young drivers in the car. Ricardo's going to be leading that. Norris is going to be growing. Um, the issue is them is, 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 again, money. They spend far too much money for where they are currently in the championship. For me, the favourites are Racing Point and soon-to-be Aston Martin. The, the team have gone through many changes. They've never been a top-spending team. They managed to be continually successful in terms of a midfield outfit throughout the entire time where they were going through bankruptcy and they had to change names, they had to get bought out. They were so successful there. The crop of drivers they were seem to attract is strong. You know, Lance Stroll's going to be around for a while and Lance Stroll is not at the top of his game. He's not one of the best racers in the field, but he's definitely, you know, average to better than average. And I think Lance Stroll's got a lot of time to improve himself and will be there for a lot of time. If they keep Perez, maybe, and put Lance Stroll back in the car, then I think Perez could be there for another four or five years. He's got plenty of time under his belt. If not, there'll be a lot of good drivers that Mercedes, maybe other areas will have put in that seat. And I think Aston Martin, after uh, the end of this season, become what will essentially be Mercedes, not B team, but like partner team. You know, Mercedes own a stake in Aston Martin. No, not the type you eat. I'm talking about an investment stake, at least 20%. 
Um, we know that Aston Martin share engines with Mercedes anyway in their road cars. I really think that due to the budgets coming in, the driver salary that is happening, because we know that the Strolls will find a way to pay Lance next to nothing, and there'll be some external, you know, daddy giving son pocket money outside of the sport, which is essentially his wage, but that gives them an extra 20, 30 million to play with wherever they want it. They're going to be able to work around the rules, I think. And with Mercedes backing off that team, I think Aston Martin are going to be the team that ends up fighting at the front. I think Vettel's going to help them develop the car. I just think they've got a lot going for them. So I, I hope Williams make a resurgence because they're the other ones, right? They don't spend an absolute truck ton of money, but more than what they should do for where they are. But, you know, they're, they're on the right path. Um, again, with Russell, if he stays around, if, if Mercedes go and Russell has to stay at the Williams seat, then um, they, they, they could build something there. But for me, the, the early favourites are actually the, uh, I think Aston Martin will come out the woodwork if Mercedes stick around for another 10 years. I think Mercedes could win the next three or four, personally. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going to do the opposite of what you've done, Sam, and just presume that Mercedes are going to keep going in their current guise um, with their current strategy. In which case, I do not think for a second that regardless of regulation changes, Mercedes are going to hand over a championship to another team. Now, obviously, we know what happened with the last major regulation change, 2013 to 2014. The dynamic of you know, it, it shifted completely. The power shifted from Red Bull, who had won four consecutive championships, to Mercedes, essentially overnight. I think Mercedes are just too well run to fall off completely. I would be very surprised if we come to 2022 and they're in a position where they are even slightly uncompetitive. And we have to remember as well that when Mercedes have, have had a bit of a history of wrapping up championships pretty early, you know, and as a result of that, being able to focus on next year's development, or I guess in this year's instance, they might already be focused on 2022. They're able to get out such a massive lead in the first half of championships that everyone seems to catch up in the second half of the year, when in reality, Mercedes are just behind the scenes looking towards the next year already. That might well be what their plan is right now to get ready for 2022. So who's in a good position to overhaul them? I don't think anyone's in a great position to, but there are a few opportunities out there. In terms of current performance, you'd have to say that Red Bull have to at least be a part of the shortlist, if not at the head of it. I think Red Bull with the cost cap are going to be very effective, even with what's going on with Honda. And then there are some requirements that they have to meet in order to be competitive and stand a chance of of getting a championship away from Mercedes. But considering Red Bull would not need to cut back as much as Mercedes will in terms of their overall spend, that should hand them uh, a fairly nice advantage. I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but uh, I think Mercedes probably spend about 60-70% more in F1 than Red Bull do. So that would be advantage for Red Bull. But like I say, they do need to get some things right before they can even think about taking a championship away from them. The first thing they need to do, they absolutely have to get the second driver right. Because if they don't get that right, they don't stand a chance of winning either championship. Now, Constructors' Championship, that obviously makes a lot of sense because that is half of your points or should be half of your points. But I also think Max Verstappen doesn't stand a chance of winning the Drivers' Championship until he does have that reliable number two driver because it just hampers him in terms of strategy far too often to make him a viable contender for the title. And the other thing they have to get right is this this engine deal. So 
you know, 2021, they're relatively safe in, you know, they've still got Honda for the time being, but they are going to have to find a good long-term solution, whether that's through their own, you know, own development, whether they go down the route of, you know, Mugen Honda, as we've, we've kind of discussed before, whether they do look elsewhere, they go back to Renault, whatever they choose, it needs to be a, a viable and sustainable option. And even if they can't beat Mercedes in the engine department, which has long been the case, that's okay because they are good enough elsewhere that they can overcome that. They just need to get everything else right if that's going to be the case. So we know they're very good aerodynamically. We know they're top of the top of the range in terms of strategy. We know their pit stops are unbeaten, you know, two seconds nearly every single time. So we know they are good in a number of areas. If engine development or the Honda engine, the Renault engine, whatever they go with, they can afford to be slightly behind as long as everything else makes up for it. Um, Other teams, Aston Martin, I I don't think that in the short term they're going to be competing, but who knows? We know what the, uh, the pink Mercedes is looking like, and maybe that has given them the opportunity to focus more on 22, considering they essentially didn't really have to do much to the current car they've got. Uh, and just to say, actually, on Aston Martin, before I move on from them, if, if they were competitive for a championship and if they did go on and win a championship, I don't care what guys they're in, what colour their livery is, who the team principal is. I will just love that Eddie Jordan is there in memory. His old team. Not in memory. He's coming straight back. You know he's rolling over that barricade with his shirt half open, his hair a mess. He's just come out of a casino with a pint in the other hand. And he's straight in that garage being like, this is my team. You know he's yeah, in there. I'll take it from here, Otmar. <laughs> oh, please, EJ. Please, EJ. Get it. Bring back Heinz Harold Frenson while you're at it. Go on, do it. Anyway, <laughs> final, final team to focus on uh, is Ferrari. Um, so Why I, I, they're not going to be there in 21, let's face it, unless they have the biggest recovery of forever, um, in which case there's probably something dodgy going on. Um, but 2022, they should be better. There's no guarantee, but they should be better in 2022. But like Mercedes, I think they might struggle a little bit in terms of the budget cap, but we'll see on that one. Let's move on to our next topic, which is a few incidents that we've seen in recent races. So firstly, we saw that Lance Stroll came close to hitting uh, a marshal that was on track whilst behind the safety car. Lance Stroll was unlapping himself at the time, sort of sped off, and there were still, I think, two marshals still on or just off the circuit as he was going round. Uh, and then in Istanbul last week, Michael Massey made the decision to start Q2, despite the fact that a crane was still on the circuit at the time. It was moving off, but it was still on there at the time that they started the session. So, uh, Sam, have the FIA become slack on safety, do you think? Yes. That is, uh, one incident is too many already. We've had too many people's lives taken away, ruined, destroyed, families, you know, scarred for life because silly, 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 silly decisions have been made or not enough safety protocols have been put in place or rash decisions have been thrown out by the uh, the FIA, the stewards' room. And Massey, mate, what are you doing? Are you literally asleep in the stewards' room over there? Because 
There are stewards walking around on the track at one point. Sebastian Vettel has to radio back, tell everyone to slow down. It's so dangerous. I've nearly hit stewards. Lucky that he was going slowly at that point. But seven, eight cars go through at full speed. Lance Stroll is metres away from just a man walking around on the track. That is not all right. Not okay at all. And then we come to arguably what has been the most dangerous Grand Prix for a long time. The Turkish Grand Prix on that new track surface anyway. I'm amazed that we only had one DNF, and that DNF wasn't related to the track. No one actually crashed it bad enough that they had to DNF themselves. So bravo to the drivers for showing off that fantastic skill. But they were slipping sliding everywhere, and they slipping slipping slowed. That's a new word for you folks. They slipping slowed straight into the off track, into the gravel, into the grass, lucky not into a barrier, but they were close enough that if they happened to do it in the wrong place, straight under a crane they go. And you know who else looks straight under a crane? Gilles Bianchi. And he ain't here anymore because of a stupid, stupid decision and we haven't learned from it. And it's not okay. That is not all right. And if, if we had that happen again, regardless of who it was or what was the cause, there should be absolutely zero, zero reason that that is ever a possibility ever again. And I'm furious that nothing has been brought up with it since the incident happened. No review, no disciplinary, no public action taken. One wrong move, one slip, one puddle, you know, a tyre goes uh, bang, you know, a puncture happens. We saw it was close on many of the cars. You're straight under that vehicle. And even with the halo, the bloody earlaws, you, you never know if it's going to be enough support. We can't guarantee it. And I don't want the drivers to be at risk like that. They risk themselves enough driving around at the highest speeds they do for our own entertainment. So, yeah, they need a check. The slack was far too much. It's embarrassing that we're putting this many people's lives at risk for no reason. So, yeah, massing into talking to and the FIA need to review things. What are your thoughts on this situation, Harry? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with what Sam said. Um, the you know the the first one in Imola, I'm not not forgiving it uh, at all. But uh, you know the the situation in the race is a safety car, and I know they've got access to more information than we do um but that i don't know whether it's a you know breakdown of communication between the marshals and the stewards um i don't know but the one in turkey just is madness when when we and when i say we i mean uh, us three the rest of the people watching f1 around the world can see on the tv screen uh that's our only uh, outlet here is the tv screen that the recovery crane is still clearly in a in a zone where a car could slide off and hit it. If we can see that, then why have they let any cars go out on the circuit? And to reference back what I was talking about um, about the situation with Ian Imola, where it's you know race circumstances. This isn't qualifying in Turkey. They just wait, just give it like a minute. It literally took a minute for that crane to actually get in. So why not just wait a minute? I know we'd had a delay, but one minute wasn't going to make any difference whatsoever. So it's just not acceptable, and I don't don't understand it. And you know, as Sam said, that it's a it's a sore point for for F one because we've had an accident where a car has gone under a crane, and the and the poor poor driver was killed eventually. So beyond bizarre, and you know, I'm not going to heap it all on Massey, but I would be shocked if. You know, Charlie Whiting had let that kind of event happen whilst he was in charge. So, uh, yeah, I think something needs to change there because if it's a, whether it's a breakdown of communications or 
there's not the right person in charge. I don't know, but it, yeah, you, it's just not just not right. And not you know for the, for the sake of the show, I don't think it was for the sake of the show because yeah, like I said, we just had to wait a minute and that was it, and it would have been fine. So um, yeah, not acceptable. Hope we don't see anything more like that this year or ever. Yeah, I think if you're looking at the stroll incident, um, you know, I know it was double yellows and Stroll himself wasn't told over team radio to slow down. Um, I, realistically, you shouldn't shouldn't be letting them go past the safety car if you know that there are marshals out there. And if you don't know that there are marshals still out there, why don't you know? That's that's clearly something that they need to tackle if that's the case. Um, so yeah, that really wasn't a great incident. The one in Turkey is the one that really got me though, because I, I did not like this at all. And I'm not sure what I disliked more, the actual incident itself, or I guess not an incident, but the, the action itself, or whether I disliked the response more because the response was not good. It's not, I did not enjoy that whatsoever. You know, Michael Massey came out and said that in hindsight, yeah, he could have done this. He had assurances. We'll do we'll do an investigation. But it does very much sound like it's ticking the boxes uh, and ensuring that something's done to appease people, which is never the reason that things should be done. Um, I, I think it was a very laid back approach, didn't regret anything. And I just was not happy about that at all because it shows that nothing was learned. It shows that in a similar situation, Michael Massey will very likely do exactly the same thing. And I know some people think that I'm going to be overreacting here uh, with what I'm saying, because, yes, it was a very, very small chance that the crane wasn't removed in time. You know, I mean, the, the crane was there. He had insurances that it would be gone by the time the drivers are out there. Yeah, I understand it was an outlap for all of these drivers. I understand it was well off the racing line. And I get that the chance of an incident is very, very small. The problem is when you make that decision over and over again, as his post-race comments indicate, soon enough, you do them enough times, that percentage is going to come through. You know, if, if you're taking a 0.05% risk once, it's very, very unlikely that anything's going to happen, sure. But if you repeat that behavior over and over again, sooner or later, that is going to come through and something's going to happen, as we saw, you know, not even a decade ago. And really, this approach to safety uh, and the fact that if, if Michael Massey had come out afterwards and said that was a really bad call, I'm really sorry, I should have waited until it was gone, there was no reason not to wait, I'd be relatively okay with it because I could then have confidence this won't happen again. But his response and his reaction, quite honestly, it spits on the memory of Jules Bianchi and all of those, all drivers that have died as a result of poor safety or a poor decision or or just adverse conditions. It's it's not okay. Uh, It really saddened me, actually. There's every chance that something will happen again. Yeah, like I say, I get that the chance of something happening was small. But you keep repeating activity like that, sooner or later, something bad will happen. And is that what it's going to take? Someone else dying? Someone else getting seriously injured before action is taken on safety? That should not be the case. The action needs to be done before that to prevent these sorts of incidents, rather than that being the cause of of introducing more. It's much better the first way around rather than that way around. 
And clearly, if Shaw Bianchi, you know, passed away you know, six, seven years ago, is that is that the time frame? Is is that okay? We'll, we'll pay attention to safety for a few years, and then actually after six or seven, we'll go back to our old habits. I, I thought it was I thought it was wrong. It was really poor. So shall we move on to? And I don't know. Have you got a have you got a theme song for this next uh, for this next segment, Harry? I've never uh, sung one. Yeah, I mean that usually doesn't stop you, Sam. <laughs> Sam, have, have a go with this one. I just have a pained expression the entire time this music's on. <laughs> you just imagine me looking out the window in Croyd and being like, "Is it true or false?" <laughs> like. But is it though? Because I never know the answer. So is it true or is it false? Or is it false or true? Oh, I don't know. It's not up to me though. It's up to you. It's F1 true or false. That wow, was like a, so a streets, a streets version <laughs> of uh, <laughs> the jingle. As Sam explained in such an eloquent way, we're going to be playing F1 true or false. So I've got 10 statements in front of me and the guys will take it in turns. I will say the statement and it's really simple. They just have to tell me is it a true statement or is it a false statement? So play along at home. See how many out of 10 you can get right. Can you get more than these two combined? Harry, let's start with you this time out. Pick a number between 1 and 10. 9. All right, number 9. Okay, true or false, Harry Eid. Flavio Briatore once referred to Giancarlo Fisichella as incompetently competent. <laughs> <laughs> that's savage. True. I want that to be true. True. <laughs> I'm afraid that's made up. It's not true. It's oh, oh, that was brilliant. I probably should check, though, because that does sound like something he would say about Fisichella. Um, it sounds like something we would say. Mm. Well, and we just did. said it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not my actual true thoughts just coming out in the form of a Briatori quote, by the way. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, Harry, that one's not right. But Sam, you have a chance to get something on the board. Pick a number between one and ten that isn't nine. I'll go uh, three because it is a magic number. All right. Three is a magic number. True or false? The Indy 500 last appeared on the F1 calendar in 1970. And what do you mean by the Indy 500? The, the race that happens. So, <laughs> are we talking about Indianapolis, the circuit, or the F1 Indi- running at Indy 500? As in, like, the, doing the like oval? The, the Indy 500, the race. Oh, was... I'm going to say false. It is false. The last time it appeared on the calendar was 1960. So You could tell that I definitely knew what I was on about there, folks. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but it is false. So, right, nonetheless. Harry... Another number, please. Uh, Four. Number four. Jackie Stewart won the British, Irish, Welsh and Scottish Skeet Shooting Championships. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, why? True. (laughs) It is true. Yes, he did. Come on, Jackie Stewart. Very nearly competed in the 1960 Olympics in shooting. Fun fact about Jackie Stewart. What a multifaceted man. Indeed. (laughs) Next number, please, Sam. Uh, Ten. Number ten. Taki Inui 
did not score any F1 points. True or false? True. It is true. He did not score any points whatsoever. It deserves a... Stop the count, but give him more. (laughs) I think he finished eighth once. So he got got close, but... To me, that's four points. Yeah, sure. We'll we'll use modern scoring for him. But yes, you're right. It is true. So, Harry, next one for you. Uh, seven. I did, what, Sam, what did you pick last time? Yeah, seven's fine. Seven. All right, seven. number seven. Ricardo Zonta, or Big Zonts, as we like to call him on the podcast. <laughs> big Zonts, Big Zonts, Big Zonts. He won the GP2 title five years after his last F1 race. Is that true or false? Hang on, hang on. Was it called GP2 at the time? I can't tell you that. Well, because it's not called GP2 now. It wasn't called GP2 before GP2. Uh, I'll go false. It is false. Uh, Giorgio Pantano did win the GP2 title about four years after he was in Formula 1, but Big Zonts, not him. So that is correct. Well done, Harry. Well done, Harry. Sam, next number. Uh, I'm going to go with number five. Number five, Alex Albon is the first tie driver to compete in F1. True or false? I'm going to say that that is true. It's false. God damn it, Albon! Why can't you be first in anything you ever do? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's only been one one other tie driver, um, Prince Bira, back in the 1950s, but... Sorry, not true. So it's two each after three uh, goes each. So we've got four more left, two each. Harry, what are you going for on your next number? Number one, please. Number one. The winner of Michael Schumacher's final race was Jensen Button. The winner of Jensen Button's first race was Michael Schumacher. Is that true or false? I know this one. It is true. It's a good, it's a great fact. (laughs) it is a great fact. Yeah, uh, it is true. It also works for, um, I think, Prost and Senna it works for as well, weirdly. But um, yeah, well done. Sam, you've got three numbers to choose between. You can Two, six or eight. Um, I will go with number eight. Number eight. Ralph Schumacher. Oh, won. Ralphie the Mouthy. He won exactly six F1 races. True or false? Ooh. Um, Did you call Ralphie the Mouthy? Yeah, because he's got a massive mouth, hasn't he? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go with true. He did. He won exactly six races. Oh, it's good, this. True or false stuff. (gasps) We're getting down to the last two. It's three each. Harry, this could be the all-important call. Number two or number six? Uh, Number six, please. Number six, Nigel Mansell's last F1 race came in 1994. True or false? Um, f- oh, fudge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'm God. afraid the game is not true or fudge. Okay, <laughs> God, F. Uh, I'm going to go with false. It is false. Well no! done. He did a few races in 95. 
But I couldn't remember if he actually did the races in '95 because I remember. Well, I don't remember, but he couldn't fit in the car or something, couldn't he? <laughs> I remember. That's I true, was there. Yeah. Fat Nige. <laughs> Which means <laughs> Fat Nige. Mr. Chunky and Fat Nige. What a duo. <laughs> oh no. All right, Sam. Which means you get yeah. number two to number try and tie two. this up at four all. Eddie Jordan. Oh true. yes, it's my boy. It's all true. <laughs> he did fifteen minutes of practice in place of Bertrand Gasho at the nineteen ninety one Mexican Grand Prix. Oh come on! <laughs> Say, I'll have to say it's true because it's EJ. Even if it's wrong, I want it to be true. Of course, it's not true. <laughs> it's false. <laughs> I wanted it to be true. I really wanted it to be true as well as I was writing it out. Eddie Jordan lives in my head, rank free. Oh man! <laughs> Just to confirm, people, Eddie Jordan did not do 15 minutes of practice at the 1991 Mexican Grand Prix. <laughs> I'm going to speak really it into his he existence. He's, everyone will believe he did. Yeah. Uh, well, well done, Harry. 4-3 win well done, on that mate. one. Thanks. Do you, do you want an outro to the to this game? Uh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I say things that might be right. Sometimes they're wrong. Ben's the only one that really understands what I'm saying. Like he tells me if it's true or false. False or true? It's not up to me. It's up to you. It's F1. True or false? Cheers. <laughs> you sound really depressed. <laughs> you know, just keeping it real. It's tough. He, he's just had a close 4-3 loss there in true or false. I feel like Nico Rosberg. <laughs> Don't throw a cap at me, please. Well, with Sam throwing a cap at Harry, I think it's probably best to get out of here for this episode. We'll be back next week previewing the first of two races in Bahrain, the one around the circuit that we usually see next time around. But Sam, if you wouldn't mind for now getting us out of here. Folks, thanks for joining the podcast. As always, please share it. Please subscribe to our podcast. Follow it along. You know, We can see that you guys are, are gathering which is amazing to see, but we'd love to have a bigger audience, a larger community to share our love of F1 with. Get down to YouTube as well. We're so close to the 2K mark, and we've got good videos out at the moment about Hamilton. You know, was that his greatest drive ever? He's a seven-time world champion, which is amazing. Perez, you know, a racing point made a massive mistake getting rid of him. Go give that a watch if you haven't as well. We'd love to hear your opinions. In the meantime, we'll see you next week. I've been Samuel Sage. I've been Ben Hocking. I've been Bertrand Gasho. And remember... Keep breaking light. Sports Social Podcast Network.